It's a gospel on the radio talk show. A show about dreams and visions and a church that is indeed triumphant, alive, and well. For the church triumphant is alive and well. Hello, Tallahassee. This is the Gospel on the Radio talk show. I am Pastor Jack King. I am your host and uh, as you know, I'm always excited to be with you on Sunday mornings here on WTSM 97.9, your sports monster. We're on Sunday mornings from uh, from 6 to 7. We talk about dreams and visions and a church triumphant, alive and well. We talk about the church and all that God is doing in his glorious kingdom. We do have a few rules. We don't talk sports, politics, or doctrine, but we do always speak well of one another. And we've been doing that since the very, very beginning, way back in 2002, this is show number 1006 today, and I have Pastor Lance Olib with me. He is a pastor of Four Oaks Midtown, right here in the heart of Midtown. Brother Lance, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. This, this is a treat. Yeah, this is your second time, so you get to be a regular. Yeah, you know what? I think you're probably right second time. I was going to say maybe it was a third. So it there's either be. a lost one out there. It's my ma- my bad memory or yours. One no, or the no, other. you could be right. You very well could be right because uh, I don't always remember things all, <laughs> as well as I should. I'll try to be more memorable yeah. this time. But we like, we like regulars. We like people who keep coming <laughs> yeah. back all the time because the thing about it is that we keep up with people this way. And I've got some folks that I like having come in every once, once a year or so sure, just to see how they're doing. But... Uh, You've been in Tallahassee now, is it six years? Uh, yeah, we moved. To, we actually moved here summer of 2013, so 2013. it's been uh, a little over six, seven. Seven years. Isn't that amazing? Wow, that's gone powerfully fast. That's, <laughs> that's the thing about time, it just keeps coming. It does. Well, your reflections of Tallahassee, how, how are we doing? Is it treating you well? Yeah, Tallahassee's been a, a wonderful place. Uh, I think... I think it's a mix of uh, of things that I expected and didn't expect. And I tell people all the time, I grew up in North Dakota. It's a very rural kind of thing. Um, and uh, moved to Orlando first. So I was in Orlando for a couple of years. And I thought, I guess for some reason, I didn't know what to expect coming to Tallahassee. It's the capital of F- right, Florida. Right. I figured uh, there'd probably be a lot happening here. Maybe, I, know, I guess I just assumed everywhere was a beach and everywhere was like Miami Vice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it turns out, uh, if you haven't, you know, I've been spending a lot of time in Florida, which I hadn't. Right. I mean, there's a lot of diversity, even in rural areas and farms and that oh, kind yeah. of thing. Sure. So, you know, my impressions of Tallahassee since I moved here, somebody told me one time a number of years ago, they said, uh, it's a metropolitan Mayberry. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought that. that was an apt description. Yeah. And it's the way that we've felt being here. Uh-huh. There are a lot of small town, hometown generations of families that have lived here and we have been you know loved well and welcomed in well and we know our our neighbors who give us citrus fruit you know all those kind of small town kind of things Uh, but then of course there's a lot happening here because of the capital and there's people in and out and tens of thousands of students that come all the time so right yeah it's it's been great we we love the city and love what uh what we're able to do here i refer to it as a big little town yeah, yeah, same concept, right? Yeah, you got everything you need, but it's not not huge. No. I mean, you can actually drive across the city in thirty minutes from one. Oh yeah, uh, easily. If, yeah, and maybe rush time. Rush time, I maybe maybe a little longer, but generally you can get around fairly easy, and mm-hmm. uh, I like it. But uh, we've been here, let's see, forty one, forty two years, and I'm from a small town too. So, yeah, <laughs> so I appreciate. It. I'm not big on the big cities. They, that's just a little too much, especially. Orlando, because I get lost. And it's interesting to me. I've been to other big cities, and I don't get turned around like I do in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And then the toll roads. Yes. It's just a little too much on the toll roads. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're going to bait me into talking bad about Orlando here. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, yeah, you, insult you your Orlando. we got friends there, so we got we to lots, lots of friends. Yeah. I don't want to insult your Orlando audience either, you know. But uh, I think here's the reason you get lost in Orlando. Um it all looks the same. <laughs> is that what it is? It's so, it, there's a lot of sprawl there. Uh, okay. It's a new town. There was things we loved about Orlando, but uh, yeah, I, I don't have a huge desire to move back there really? right away. Not, not, not right now, no. Well, the thing about Tallahassee is that you do have the universities, you do have the diversity because you do have the state government. You're, I think you're more aware of things that's going on in the capital here because you live here and you hear it on the local news that you probably wouldn't hear in other places. 
But now you came to Tallahassee to to take over a, a church that was really just getting started at the time. What, about a year old when you came here? Yeah. So uh, there's a local church here, a Four Oaks Community Church, that uh, had some people that were living in this neighborhood down here, and we had a desire to multiply. We uh, had a strong idea of a couple things. One, I think... I think when you step out in faith and you send and you start something new, oftentimes, I mean, that's the kind of thing that God God usually blesses, or at least that's how we felt. Not a guaranteed success, but they, they wanted to be on mission, so that was one thing. And then, uh, you know, the other thing was the idea that if we were going to expand our ministry in the city, that oftentimes people will try out or they'll want to worship where they live. We wanted to... We, we sensed that a sense of community around where you worship is can be a good thing. So Midtown kind of became an area that the church was looking at at the time. Uh, they had started to worship here and do some Sunday evening things as kind of an exploratory thing. I think back in 2012, it went on hiatus. It would put on halt for a little while. And it was in that, that meantime where they said, we want to look for someone to, to lead this work. And right. to, so it was, I tell people it was... Um, it was like church planting, but it was church planting for wimps. That's what I was called. The, <laughs> because there was a beautiful group of people who came. Right. There was a church that was supportive. Yeah. Uh, we found a, you know, a, a partnership uh, in, in y'all uh, here that in a lot of ways answered a lot of the difficulties that people have to go through early on. So I've always been grateful for that. I recognize it. Uh, but yeah, we came here to help establish this work. We, we started um, right when we moved here, the first Sunday. And uh, your background is before you. I guess I'm, I'm just having have a conversation with you over the years. You you had been in missions, yes, in, with YWAM, and then you went to Bible college. Yeah, I went to. Uh, well, the the timeline. I started uh, in missions for a couple of years. Yes, with YWAM, and then I needed an undergrad degree because I wanted to go to seminary. So I ended up moving back home to North Dakota. I uh, lived in Grand Forks, which is uh, where the University of North Dakota is at. And uh, I did an undergrad and a master's degree program there while I started serving at, my, at the church that I grew up at. So I actually served as a pastor for nine years and then wanted to finish up an MDiv and finish at seminary. So that's what brought me to, to Florida. Yeah. When you say you served as a pastor, were you a lead pastor or were you no. an associate? No, I've, uh, I, tried to, I tried to get on all the jobs. So I, <laughs> I moved back uh, when I got done two and a half years, almost three years of uh, missionary work. I mean, that, was my, that was my life for that time. When I came back and I started into college, the church was was growing. They probably had 180 kids or something, and it was an established place, and they, they wanted a, a children's director. Okay. And I just kept following and noticing. I had a heart for the church. I felt a call to ministry. I'd been in missions. And I noticed after a number of months that they just kept advertising this job. It's a church I loved. I knew these <laughs> right, people. And right, so right. I remember the day I was in my, uh, my parents' uh, kitchen. I'd just gotten married to my wife at the time. I just looked at him and I said, I don't know, do you think I should do this children's ministry job? And uh, so I called my pastor. I'd known him for 17 years. He, he actually had preached the message that uh, I received Jesus. I, I, I told my mom coming home from church, uh, he had just come and I think it was almost a candidating weekend. And so I'd, I'd known him for a long time. I just called him. I said, I'm not an elementary school teacher. I've never been in ministry but I know I want to serve the church. I would love to do whatever it takes. Um, you know, I've never, I've never served kids, but I was a kid once. You know, I, was, right. I was really, right. really sophisticated sales pitch here. <laughs> and he said, I think you should put an application in. And I had been teaching Sunday school faithfully. So I wrote a couple of, I had a couple of parents write in really nice, you know, letters for me. So that was my first job. They, they hired me, they did an interview. And my first job, what I would consider, you know, close to full time in a church, I was still, I was going to school and then I started grad school was running all the volunteers for a nursery up through sixth grade huh. elementary class, running the, the VBSs in the summer, putting on the straw hats and playing the songs for the kids. Right. So I started out doing that, and then I became the student minister. So I, I ran a sixth grade, you know, middle school, high school, and college ministry uh, for a number of years there as well, uh, full-time. Then eventually the college thing started to take most of my time we had started a, a sunday evening worship service for college students that got really blessed and took it from a once a month gathering of a dozen so or so students to a few hundred that were meeting every sunday night and that i really felt like i i started to pretend that's when I, I got my i was serving the church and i loved the role that i had but i was thinking in the future and i feel like when i look back i was allowed to pastor that group of people in a particular way you know that group of students wow. And then, uh, yeah, another a few more years, I took over the community group and Bible study ministry there, and 
So I, I think you just described my fantasy here. <laughs> all the all the things that you you were doing are, are the sort of things I loved it to do. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm not sure I got this sequence right. You had, you had been to the mission field before of this. Before yeah. this, yes. So, so so let's go back and figure out how how you got there. Yeah. Like, what you're wondering is how could someone less experienced than that be on <laughs> no, the mission no, field? Yeah. No, if you had two two and a half years in the mission field, then you mm-hmm. had some experience That's going true. into this other job. That's true. I sold but myself now, short. Yeah. But now. When did you go to the mission field? Was it right out of high school? Or did I did. You, right, I mean, like that, that summer or that fall? Or? It was uh, in August, right after I graduated high school. Okay. So, well, the organization, and we'll talk about it here in a minute, is called Youth of the Mission, which right. helps explain, you know, that that's really what a lot of their, I guess you call it a workforce, or their mission, their missionaries are made up of young people. So, when I was in high school, uh, I had a youth pastor who wanted to take us on a mission trip. He had a connection with somebody with with YWAM. I didn't know what that was. I thought they just ran or, uh, summer trips, but I went and I I think seeds were planted in me. Uh, they made me take my faith seriously in a particular way. At least right, that organization right. yeah. did. And so by the time I got done with high school, I started to started to really ask questions about well, what am I supposed to be doing here? If I was honest, it'd probably been a number of years that I was wrestling with a call to ministry, mm-hmm. and I. I put it off because I, I didn't think that was the path that I had planned for me. I, I wanted to, at the time, I, you know, I, I wanted to do something like medicine or, you know, some, some other career. Right, right. But I just could not suppress this sure. ongoing thing, this desire to. Now, when, when you talk about your pastor preached a sermon, mm-hmm. then you came to faith, how old were you when that happened? Six years old. Six years so, old. So, yeah, I'd, okay. I'd grown okay. up in the church, yeah. So, you'd been in church, but it just come that time. And, of course, a lot of people would say, well, you, you can't be sincere at six, but I disagree with that. And in fact, my daughter, uh, most of my children came to Christ young. They're still serving God. My grandchildren have accepted Christ. And I think, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the thing is, is that at such a very tender age, mm. when you make that type of a decision, it's a very sincere thing. And uh, yeah, no, absolutely. So, I think we sometimes, well, I don't even know if we could overemphasize. It's a good thing to grow in maturity and faith. And you and I were just, you know, talking before we jumped on the radio here about still excited about exploring the depth of the Bible. Sure. Where did these names come from and where did that guy go? Right, so, right. I mean, of course I encourage that kind of thing. But the simple, mer- the, the mercy that God gives to simple and sincere faith, we don't want to ever overcomplicate that. No. And no. so that's the thing. Absolutely yeah. children Absolutely, can yeah. make a sincere yeah. cry for, for God's help, you know? Yeah. The, the gentleman who, who founded Child Evangelism Fellowship yeah. did not believe that children could be saved. Wow. And he set out to to prove that. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> and uh, ended up founding Child Evangelism Fellowship as a result of it because he saw the sincerity of a child. That's childlike faith. The scripture talks about it as such. So from six up to the time that you graduated from high school. Yes. And your pastor, the youth pastor, had talked about this organization called Youth with a Mission. You got it. And yep. So now, when you went for the uh, the trial run, I guess that was why you were still in high school. That yes. was with Youth with, with a Mission. It was, yeah. I was 16 years old. I was a sophomore in high school. Or it was right after my sophomore year of high school. And I was uh, heavily invested in all my friends. And I played basketball. It was my, I mean, I look back now and. I can I can pretty firmly say it was an idol of a sort. I mean, it was my life was dedicated to it. My identity was tied up into it, the whole thing. So I had plans for my summer. I mean, there were camps to go to, and I'd go to the University of North Dakota basketball camps, and I had a I had a path to get better, right? That kind of thing. And uh, it's funny we tease about it now, but I actually had a really close group of friends, and I thank God for them. I think this is a significant part of the way that people mature. But a couple of my friends. And I, we're both loosely attached to the church. Um, I had a sincere faith, I believe, since since six. But like everyone, needed to figure out well what that was, what was that going to look like, and how All much right. how much Absolutely. is he asking sure. of me? And uh, this youth pastor who had come, uh, he one he had played basketball. He played college basketball, which I was really impressed yeah. by. What he didn't tell me at the time, and I don't know if you know, he didn't tell me at the time is he's Canadian. He played Canadian college basketball, which. I won't. I want to insult our Canadian friends, but it wouldn't have been as impressive to me if I would have known. Right, right. So anyway, that was exciting to me. And then he started talking about these trips, and I remember there was a brochure. It was a brochure that YWAM had produced, 
and on the front of it, uh, it was uh, it would looked like to me what I would only describe as sad Jesus. It was Jesus with a picture of the cross in the back, him kind of down, you know, beaten down and uh, looking down a little bit. And then underneath it, uh, describing clearly his sacrifice for us, uh, on the bottom of it had this this question: "Give me one good reason." Oh my! And then yeah, and then on the inside, it was like, "Why couldn't you give two weeks to come out of this mission trip?" So my friends and I always tease later. We talked to my youth pastor. This was spiritual, you know, manipulation and uh, abuse on his part. But here's the thing that was interesting about it is. We threw that brochure in the back of my buddy's car, leaving church one day. We laughed about it for two seconds, but it never left us. Uh-huh. And it, you know, the next day he'd say, "Like, you thinking about that brochure still? Are you like, <laughs> why wouldn't we go? What are we going right. to do?" So that was my first exposure. We finally just said, "Yes, we should go do this. Let's go for it." My older brother went, and a number of our friends. And I can only say, you know, at the time, I again, I didn't know what Youth of the Mission was organizationally, and what I was going to come to know when I went on staff with them, with them later. I thought this was an organization that just liked to run summer trips. We were in North Dakota. For some reason, this this YWAM base or where they were headquartered was, or I thought it was the headquarters, was in Northwest Arkansas, right outside Fayetteville. Okay. So we drove down in a bus, old sweaty bus, met a bunch of youth kids from South Dakota. Our whole convention, you know, it was a North American Baptist convention, it was called. Whole convention got together and we drove down. And I, it was life, it was life changing in a lot of ways. Um, okay. I, so is that, is that as far as you went? You didn't go overseas? Or no, no, we, no. So we went to Northwest Arkansas, and that was a place of training. Okay. So there was okay. probably, I want to say at that time, on that trip, a little over 200 kids okay. who then all loaded into YWAM buses, and we traveled down into Monterrey, Mexico. Okay, so you did go to Mexico. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I should have mentioned that. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. That's, yeah. So, yeah. We, yeah, we went to Mexico, and we did all the things that you'd imagine on a short-term trip like this. We had a few construction projects we did. We did door-to-door evangelism. We did street evangelism. I learned all the, you know, phrases. I can still recite them. Somos cristianos de los Estados Unidos. Si estamos, you know, wow. I mean, these kind of things. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew all this, this stuff, but... Um, you know, as we get sent out in pairs, two by two, or two or three of us, and there's something that happens when you have to you have to actually verbalize your testimony, uh-huh. what you believe, and then call other people to it. And I think a combination of me needing to do that, and you know, eventually, if you say these things long enough, uh, you either you either have to really believe it, or the hypocrisy in you it gets works itself out i, mean, I understand that very clearly <laughs> right I, you just yeah. Yeah. i don't know some people can and yeah. i guess that's that's a bad place to no, be I, I understand exactly what you're saying yeah but i came to that place in my own life so I, I identify with that yeah so now so you you go to mexico how, how long were you there two weeks yeah a little over two weeks two yeah. weeks so in two weeks time time you left there did you know this is a calling at that time you know I, I think in hindsight, I would say that it was it was very clear that something happened in my soul and in my heart and in my spirit that sensed it, it wasn't just an enjoyable trip, uh-huh. that I was experiencing the ministry that we were doing there differently than my friends were, my brother was. And we saw some, I mean, there was really not even just the idea that we had to share the gospel. We had worship nights every night. And there were instances where I remember one one time specifically, we were just about to go across the border. Uh, we were in El Paso at a at a little church there that we were staying at, and our buses broke down and we couldn't go. And I remember we started the morning and everyone was all discouraged. Why would God stop us? We wanted uh, to go. You know, we all thought we were the Apostle Paul who wanted to go to Rome and was you know waylaid. <laughs> we all that was us. We were now what you learn later is it. Broken down buses in youth ministry just kind of goes. Yeah, together. yeah, exactly. There's not a single bus that's ever worked. Right, that, right. Exactly. But I remember this was one distinct day. So we decided our leaders were wise. They said, well, we got to, I think probably what they wanted to do is make sure we didn't waste time and get more rowdy. They said, well, let's just practice the things we're going to go through. So this was a, you know, ostensibly just a rehearsal just for us. We were going through it. And as we sang and as we worshiped and a couple of kids share their testimony, um, I mean, I remember distinctly, I grew up in a pretty frozen, chosen kind of church. It was Father, Son, Holy Bible in a lot of ways. Now, sincere, lovely people, loved them this day. But this this group, and we could talk about it a little bit, but Youth of the Mission was had definitely more of a, a charismatic orientation. And not only an orientation, but I mean, this day I sensed I sensed the spirit fall on us and move in us in a way that I just never had. And there was a, 
uh, there were some students that had gathered around with their youth ministry and a, a kid that had come along that was, I believe, being delivered from all, all kinds of sin in his life and this kind of repentance and just open weeping and crying out wow, to Christ that I had wow. never seen. And so, you know, we had a few hours like that just as a group before we went in. And what started out as a, oh man, the buses broke down and God's, he's harming us in some way. I think we looked back at it and we said, this is a preparation that we could have never, you know, yeah. designed for ourselves. So there were things like that on the trip. And again, all of us enjoyed it. We thought it was great. But yes, by the time I left there, I thought, ah, I was probably afraid of it. I probably thought, <laughs> you never, I never wanted to say out loud what right. I was starting to think. It was actually the next year uh, we went to a youth conference. You know, couldn't have been the more opposite. That was Monterey, Mexico. We went to a youth conference in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, because, uh, you know, I grew up in North Dakota. And I do distinctly remember, in fact, I have a son named, named Reed, and his, uh, he was named after this, this moment, this namesake. But there was a, a pastor there that was speaking at this youth convention. And he was talking about the way that God calls people and that he has a mission and a church. He has a church that's collective, that we should care about the community, the we, we're the body of Christ together. And, but then individuals also get called with specific calls to ministry and that we can't rely on the mission of the church collectively because ultimately we need to, we need to reckon with our own sense of calling. And there was in one of those, one of those evenings, one of those nights that he preached and just talked about, you know, what, what God might be saying. Are there people in this room who are going to be called to the mission field? They're going to be called to, to service in the kingdom in a particular way. And man, I, m I remember just feeling like I was 15 feet tall. I couldn't hide. Well, it was a like a powerful I, moment, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, just expanded. And I remember going down to the front and praying and that kind of thing. And that was the first time that next morning where I was ever able to, to verbalize, I think, and say out loud to my friends, I think I might be a pastor. Wow. I mean, that was. Wow. Yeah. So a moment of time. It really. Absolutely. Really I remember uh, in my senior year, uh, well, I graduated from high school, and uh, our pastor that I that we had when I was a child had come back to hold revival, and he started, he was preaching about end times. And I remember getting in the car, a 1957 Chevrolet, mm. <laughs> belonged to Bradley Cope, who we were heading down to the Kincaid Lake State Park that night after church. And I remember sitting in that back seat saying, gentlemen, I don't know what you are going to do with your life, but I know what I've got to do with mine. And oh, I switched wow. from going to a, a, a junior college in Maysville, Kentucky, to Cincinnati Bible Seminary and, and answered the call to minister. So I understand it's that a moment. moment in time, yeah. It really is a moment in time. But thank God for it. And thank God for those type of events. Absolutely. That helps intensify these type of things. Yeah, we should and, talk about this maybe. I I mentioned this in church the other day when we were, I was – I was teaching through through something, and yeah, you know, the, the idea that people talk about a like a mountaintop experience, or sure, a, sure. you know, you call it like a camp experience. Right, right. Now, I understand. I understand if people have concerns because how many of us have not seen our friends or ourselves made commitments at camp that we knew we could never keep? You know, <laughs> sure. uh, I had a lot of friends who spent all of their tears around a campfire of saying how they're going to be different, and then a week later, it's you know, it's not the same. So I understand people's concern or they say, well, we don't want it to, you don't want to all be emotional stuff. But I usually just tell people, thank God for those experiences, Absolutely. you know, especially. And the, the thing I said to the church was, let's not ever be the grumpy people who say, you should just live down here in the valley with us all the time. You know, like <laughs> who doesn't want someone to have a mountaintop yeah. experience, right? I used to say this in all the years that I've been involved in youth ministry and I've, yeah. I've done a lot. Is it, It's not one camp. It's not one, well, we used, to, we used to have an event called Sunfest. It's not one Sunfest, but it's the, the total body of that is a child that's going through high school coming up. Hmm. It's, in other words, you may not get it all one year, or you may have that emotional experience at camp, and then you kind of wane a little bit. But thank God you're going to go back to camp sure. to help renew that fire. Mm -hmm. And I saw this in my own children growing up. He said, yeah, we'd have one of them, and he's kind of struggling. Then we go to Sunfest, and man, just yank him back. Sure. <laughs> and so, so that's why I've always, always been a proponent of yeah. these type of events. Some people say, oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's not viable. No, it's, it's viable to me because I've seen it yeah. over all the years. But see, those events that you, you described here mm -hmm. was a combination of mm -hmm. what God was doing in your life to bring you to that time when you – Eventually went to the mission field, and then now you're pastoring a church. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely see the connection, and I believe that 
that God was calling me in a sense, or at least confirming or, or starting to stir a call in me. I think the thing, though, is that, you know, we all have to reckon with what's it going to look like when we come away from the camp sort of stuff. And so I usually think of that song, you know, the song, um, I Dare Not Trust the Sweetest Frame, mm-hmm. um, but Holy Lean on Jesus' Name. So the idea there, you know, frame isn't like a picture frame. Right. It's a frame of mind or a, an emotional experience. And what's amazing there, the sweetest frame, you recognize some frames are sweet. I mean, you can, God can get you into a Absolutely. wonderful moment, yeah. right? But the song says, I dare not trust it. I dare not trust that. Because there's going to be other times when the frame might not be as sweet. And the question is, is Jesus still faithful? And are you going to, can you, can you walk with him? Do you keep one foot Lean in front of the other? on his name. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally right. Yeah. So <laughs> I had to work out, you know, I, I can say, oh, I had this wonderful time in Mexico at 16. And then I can say the camp experience at 17. But I mean, it wasn't always pretty between those times. Uh-huh. And it really took then till, so after high school, I was, I was going, I was going to be an eye surgeon. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an eye doctor. I'd love school. And I thought, you know, that'll challenge me and that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, I admit, even though that time, the next morning after that camp thing, I was 17, I told my, told my friends, I think I might be a pastor. And I just, uh, I just started walking the other way a little bit. Um, not, not necessarily morally or in my faith or anything, but I made my own plans and I thought God will bless it. Um, so I had, I had determined to go to pre-optometry school. I had a full academic scholarship at the University of North Dakota. My mom was there with me. We were at this some you know big to-do, and I was going to get to go pick up my books early and all this kind of stuff. And I just felt like God just kept working on me and working on me and working on me. And we were walking from the registration building over to the library to pick up all my books that had been paid for at the tuition thing and all this. And not a lot of people in my family had gone to college. Um, you know, like hardworking and great people, but... I think at a certain point in my immediate family, I might have been the first person, only person to get a college degree at that point, or now, um, back right. then. And I just stopped on the walk and I said, Mom, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I feel like God's calling me to, to go do wow. mission work. Or do. So, Another moment in time. <laughs> yeah, that was a moment. I remember we stopped dead on the sidewalk, standing between the registration building and the, the library there. And we talked for a couple of minutes. She knew that I'd been processing these things and, I'm grateful for my mom and dad who are faithful and and believed that, that God maybe can do these things and that he should be followed if that happens. So, you know, she asked me very, very sincere questions like, are you sure you have a scholarship? You know, good mom questions. <laughs> but when I responded that I knew what I was saying, uh, she said, well, let's let's go. Let's go wow. back. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, there's a whole story there. It's huge, though. It really is. Yeah. There, there's a whole story there when I, when I walked back and the people I met with and gave up a scholarship and that kind of stuff because God restored it all you know, a number of years later. And pretty uh, surprisingly, in a way that I felt very cared for you know, by him as well. But I, at the moment, that was, that was really a time when I thought, okay, I'm going to go do this. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I thought this might be six months. I don't know. I want to go to this discipleship school. I want to give some time and go overseas because that is what I feel called to do next. Okay. But and that was the YWAM. I was to Youth yeah. of the Mission, same place I'd gone on the trip with, yep. And so, the, and you said it was August of that year after you graduated from high school. Yep, same year. That you, now, did you know where you would be going when you, when you signed up? No, you don't really know where you're going to go overseas at that point. So if you're not familiar with Youth of the Mission or YWAM, uh, it was started in 1961 by a gentleman named, named uh, Lauren Cunningham. And he'd had a vision. Uh, he had a heart for the nations. He, he kept trying to organize trips and he wanted to go. And he had a vision one night, I think it was in a dream, uh, that there were oceans crashing onto the waves, or on, or ocean waves crashing onto the shores of these places that he was trying to reach. He had a heart for Africa at the time. And he started to see these waves turn into young people. And he didn't know what to make of it. He thought, why, why these you know, teenagers? What's going on with this? And when he woke up, he just started to, to think through, like, well, what could this look like and why would this, why would this be the case? And so he started with Youth of the Mission with a simple idea coming from this vision that young people um, are adventurous. They're usually not tied down. They are often able... Sorry, I got a alarm thing going off. But uh, they are often able to take certain kinds of risks that they may think are impossible later on. And especially if you're going to go into places where Jesus has not been named, you know, sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. that's a hard thing. So he started an organization to do two things, to reach as many places as he could using high school mission trips and then inviting college students to discipleship ministries that they would later be sent. 
And then I think beyond that, to invite those same young people to come back on staff and to entrust them with ministry earlier than other organizations would have done so. Because what he saw is most denominations, and I mean, I, I, again, this is going to be a part of the story when I decided that I wanted to go serve in a local church rather than stay with YWAM long-term. Most denominations organizations require a lot of training and a lot of fundraising and a lot of prep before they would ever send you out to missionary. I mean, it's, it can almost be uh, paralyzing for someone who wants to go in. And he said, you know, I think we can do better than that. And I think that we can send people out. So that vision started in 1961. I think, I mean, I think now there's tens of thousands of live missionaries around the world. There's hundreds of bases where people are being trained. And the, the key to it all that he wanted to do is he didn't want to send people just out fresh. He didn't, he didn't get done. You had to have a boot camp. That's how he kind of thought about it. So YWAM runs these things called discipleship training schools. And what they are is a four to six month school that you sign up for. You go to a, a place that's not overseas and you learn basics of discipleship. Uh, you can, you look at your, your character, you look at your understanding of the Bible. You're there with a cohort of people. And it's a really transformative time for a lot of people. It's the first time away from home. And uh, it's got a, you got a, like a curfew and a bedtime and Bible reading assignments and that kind of stuff. So I went to that. There's this DTS uh, thing first that started in, uh, I guess, September 2nd or something like that is where we would have started end of August. We started to drop down and go. And then after those four months, uh, you begin to pray about as a school and there's connections they have different places. And you get your mission assignment that you're going to go uh, for a couple months toward the end of that first period of time. So that's all we knew going in is that we're going to be here for four months and, and we're going to. And then you go. And then we that, go. that was a lot of people that dropped out during that four months. Um, no, really? I, I think uh, there was there's only it's a pretty small cohort. There's 72 of us that started. I want to say there was one or two. Uh, they got into a little bit of trouble and yeah. get maybe but that, but that's home. that's really challenging what you what you just described Absolutely. four weeks of uh, you, know, you got bedtime you got curfews you, know, mm-hmm. you got all these stuff you got all these assignments I would think there would be uh, people who would just say hey it's too much <laughs> yeah um, I mean looking back I would like to I, I guess maybe I'm uh, I'm not thinking about their vetting process very well I mean I think there had to be a letter to this from parents and from a pastor to say go. There were definitely some people there who I think would have rather not been there, uh-huh. right? That kind of thing. But no, oh, God kept a kind of unity there, and uh, we learned a lot. And it's still there's still a lot of joy there. I mean, you're hanging out with yeah. a lot of people your age. But once you finish that, then you have the decision then whether or not you want to become a staff member. Yeah, that's like like a separate thing. Yeah, it's a separate thing. So a DTS is a six month commitment. It's four months of classroom training character building that kind of thing then there's two months where you're out and you're out on mission you'll either do a a stateside term for a few weeks of it a week or two where you're trying to raise awareness for missionaries or raise funds in local churches so sometimes these groups will come through and they'll they'll do missions presentations you know churches that kind of thing and then everyone gets sent for at least four weeks sometimes five six weeks overseas somewhere yeah and once that commitment is up, your six-month ETS commitment is over, and they'll invite you. Some some schools or some places at the headquarters will have an additional follow-up school. That's what the place in Arkansas had. It was called a school of evangelism. And I ended up going back for, for more training. It was another six-month commitment. And in that, what ends up happening is you're, a lot of that trip, a lot of that time is you're part a school member as a part of these training things, but then they also start to treat you like staff. So... I didn't know this at the time, but remember I told you so when I was 16, I went on this mission trip. What I didn't know is that entire trip, all of the staff, the people that I thought were full-time missionaries and looked up to, they were the students in SOE. They were in this school of evangelism. Uh-huh. So they immediately, that's what I mean, they, they, they give over uh, responsibility. So wow, that, I mean, that is. I mean that's, that's unique. It really is. It is unique. So I was 19 years old and... I was one of the the leaders of a trip. It was 251 high school students uh-huh. to go down to Mexico 
and they, I was helping to lead this same kind of trip that I had just taken the few years before. <laughs> see, here's the thing. He said, we started off, and you're talking about when you, after you got back from this, and then you went to the pastor and said, can I do this? And you were describing it like, I had never done anything like this before in my life. But here, now we're finding the rest of the story. Paul <laughs> Harvey was. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the story. <laughs> you, you've been down here going through these classes with, with YM. They're sending you out. They're putting you in charge of these things. Yeah, yeah I think you had a little training there, my brother. <laughs> no, it, it's true. I mean, there there were definitely, yeah, there were there were moments in that yeah. where I mean, I look back and it's funny. The older you get, the less risk you take, and I think I think they were insane for for having me be. I mean, I remember distinctly. I mean, moments being in charge where I mean, I look back, I think I don't, I probably shouldn't have been. I mean, that's a big responsibility. And even the months before when we were going to China. Um, uh, we were taking different trips and well, I guess not mainland, mainland China, but places, Hong Kong has a little bit more flexibility and freedom and churches there. But the way that they travel at that time, of course, there's not, a, there wasn't a lot of online banking and we wouldn't have trusted it anyway. You know, this is right around 2000, kind of late nineties. And I remember being 18 at that time. And the guy who was leading our, our trip, we had to bring cash with us. We're going to be there more than a month and buy food for 30 people and all this kind of stuff. He said, Hey, come here over here in the airport. I, I want to talk to you for a second. And he sits down and he said, if we go through the airport with more than $10,000 in cash, they're going to, they're going to talk, talk to us. We have to declare it. So we need to split this up. Open your backpack. <laughs> he dropped $10,000 in cash into my backpack at 18 oh to, have, to have me travel uh, over to this place. And it's just that kind of thing where right, they, right. they just. And, you, and you're saying at your age now, you wouldn't do this. In other words, you wouldn't give that kind of responsibility to an 18 year old. Oh my goodness. Person. I need to loosen up. I need to believe that it's going to be okay, no, is what I really think. No, the thing is, is that. These people who you're talking about here, they've had some experience. Yes. And they know, they, they done had you sized up. You sure. may not realize that. Because uh, probably everybody in your group, they probably wouldn't have done that too. No, that, that's true. Yeah, that's so they got fair. it. Let me tell the folks what's going on here because uh, we've been having a good time. This is the Gospel on the Radio talk show. You are tuned to 97.9 ESPN Radio, but from 6 to 7 on Sunday mornings, we get the privilege to talk about the Gospel. And it's always a great time, and I hope that you'll make it a habit to join us every Sunday morning right here on 97.9. But I always like to get a little gospel music in the picture as well, because just kind of like gospel music. This is Ernie Haas and Singer Sound, trying to get a glimpse. Ernie Haas and Signature Sound right here on the uh, Gospel on the Radio talk show. And it's good to be with you on a Sunday morning here. I do want to invite you to church. Now, I'm going to give you a choice. You can uh, be with Pastor Lance here at Four Oaks Midtown, which is uh, on East 8th Avenue, 526 East 8th Avenue. Or you can join me over at Freedom Road at 720 Capital Circle Northeast. You'll have a great worship experience wherever you go. And uh, we start at 11.05. I believe, Pastor Lance, you all still have two services on Sunday morning? We have a, yeah, 9, 10, 4, and 10.45. Okay. Either yeah. one. So if you'd like it a little bit later, 11.05 will work just fine. And uh, mm-hmm. also, if you are like me and you like Southern Gospel music, and you know I do, uh, Saturday night, 7 o'clock, it's called the Saturday Night Gospel Sing with Pastor Jack King on 94.1 on your radio dial. That's a full hour of great Southern Gospel music. Pastor Lance, just tell you how how much I, I love gospel music. I'm I'm in my hometown, Cynthia, Kentucky. Absolutely. And they put a new roundabout toward the end of the town. If you go left over this way, you go up 27, heading up toward Paris, Kentucky. If you go to the right, then you get on 62 and you head on up toward Georgetown, Kentucky. First, you got to go through Oddville, though. Uh, right. You yeah, taught well, that's, me that. That's you, another story. I was paying attention. You taught me. <laughs> anyway, so I'm not paying a whole lot of attention, and I end up taking the wrong turn. So instead of going to Paris, Kentucky, I'm heading toward Georgetown, Kentucky, but I'm listening to gospel music, and I'm in gospel music heaven. <laughs> and uh, finally, I get into the town where I'm going to, and I cross over interstate, and I said to myself, I don't remember Paris, Kentucky having an interstate through it. <laughs> So then I crossed over another interstate. And I, thought, I don't remember Paris, Kentucky having another interstate. Went to the McDonald's, ate, McDonald's, ate breakfast at McDonald's, and I came out, and I saw a railroad track, and I said, 
Paris doesn't have a railroad track like that. They, they have a railroad track, but not like that. And I'm going, I'm not in Paris. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> because I was so caught up in my gospel music. I just love it. Anyway. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I like about you. You're not, not afraid to tell stories that uh, you're not always the hero in your stories. No, you know that. No, no. And the thing about it is that when, it, when I first started this show, the, the uh, gospel on the radio talk show, my family and people said, oh, daddy, you can't be playing that old music. And I said, look. If I did anything other than who I am, sure, people would see through me like a phony I am. <laughs> so, so this is what I love, and I share it Wonderful. with this show and, and uh, on the Saturday Night Gospel Sings. So join me Saturday night, 7 o'clock, 94.1 on your radio dial. Also, this show will be on the podcast. It's show 1006. You can find it there later if you want to share it with a friend. That's always a good thing to do. And there's other uh, shows there on the podcast. If you want to go back and look at that 1,000 show, I, I enjoyed that immensely. My son was the, the, was the host and interviewed us, kind of went down memory lane. So check it out on the podcast. All you got to do is type in Pastor Jack King Tallahassee, and it'll come up, and you can find out all about it. Now, Pastor Lance, we're, we're running out of time here. Absolutely. Uh, we got we to get all this story into because you ended up, Going to what Mexico for with YWAM? Was it your first? I'm mean, not talking about the high school thing, but after you actually became on staff. Yeah. So what happened is, uh, you know, I went to that first six months for discipleship training school. I'm back for an additional six months where you start to work as a staff member, and then toward the end of that time is when I was invited by invited by them to to stick around. They they asked me to help be one of the leaders of the discipleship training school at the time, and then eventually helped to lead in, in SOE. And so. What happens over the course of that two to three years that you're there, um, I actually spent a considerable amount of time. I went to Mexico back and forth three different times. I spent uh, two to three three months on a couple different trips uh, to East Asia. Uh, I spent uh, a month plus in, in Turkey. We went to Italy and okay. Al- Albania so, and so all I'm kinds of places. I'm starting to get the picture now. You, you weren't in one location. You were taking trips. Back we were doing, uh, we, had, we had permanent missionaries that were in, in these locations. And a lot of times what we would do um, is that we would take other people there to help support the missionaries that were there. We would take scouting trips to try to figure out where we could land full time. And a lot of people in my position for the two, two and a half to three years that we were there would have been trying to figure out, am I called to do this full time and where would I be? Right. So for instance, on, on one of the times that I went, uh, we spent a month or so plus with a missionary that had been there for five or six years in Albania, in the middle of Albania. And uh, Albania was, uh, it came down around the same time the Soviet Union fell. They had had been under strict communism and it just kind of was a mess, but it was open to the gospel when it opened up. And uh, so that missionary that we were affiliated with was there and he was trying to get a church started and, and we went and we lived with family that was, that was there and I would help to run Bible studies and we had a moment where we got to go over to the Adriatic Sea and we baptized 33 believers that were there that he, when he moved there six years earlier, uh, he did not... He knew of one Christian that he knew, and then later, a few months later, he met another one. So now in the whole town, little town there in the middle of Albania, there were two Christians that did not know each other uh, in the town. They, they did not, not aware of it. And then we got to be a part of it years later to see and to go and baptize 30, wow, 33. <laughs> so I was, uh, yeah, I was going around to a lot of different places trying to figure out, is this where God's going to land me long term, but had a lot of... Uh, amazing experiences. Uh, I got to see a lot of different parts of the world, um, helped to support a, a lot of different people who are in different uh, different areas. And ministry looks a lot different depending on the, the nation that you're in. Some of them are very closed, you know, and you have to do things a lot more clandestine or you really, your ministry in a lot of ways is getting to know people and it's one-on-one evangelism and prayer walks and that kind of thing. So yeah, that, that was the picture for the most part in that, that time that I was there. I did a lot of training and then a lot of trips to support the missionaries we had in the field. And somewhere along the line, you met this young lady. I did, I did. <laughs> yeah, that's a big part of the story. So I've been married to Sarah uh, now for 18 years, coming up on 19 this summer. She's from Louisiana, Cajun, Cajun girl. And uh, in a lot of ways, you know, our background, we, we were on total opposite end of the continent. Tell me about it. For the U.S. Uh, was it South or North Dakota? North Dakota. North right Dakota in Louisiana. You got it. <laughs> Yeah. I was uh, I was exactly, I was about 40 minutes or so from the Canadian border, and she grew up uh, southwest Louisiana, about 40, mi- 40 minutes from the Gulf. So we were pretty far apart, but she, you know, had a similar experience. And by the time that she was ready to go off to college, she just had this sense, this leading to say, I, I want to go serve. I want to serve God. I want to 
at least give a while in, in service and growth. So she went north onto this YWAM base and I went south. We were part of the same little cohort. And uh, I mean, it wasn't right away. It wasn't a love at first sight kind of thing, but probably six to eight months in, we just started to build a real strong friendship. Uh, we were actually in Hong Kong at the time that we really had our first conversation. Uh, we were uh, we were there, and she started talking about her upbringing. Her her dad had been a, a pastor at the uh, Assembly of God Church that she grew up in, and uh, she started talking about that she wanted to serve the church. We wasn't really sure if she'd be called to a place. And uh, I usually tell people, I told you the other day, the thing I paid attention to is that she said, you know, I guess maybe I just kind of always thought I'd be a pastor's wife. And that's about, a, that really rang some bells for me. So yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. So we, we met there. We both ended up staying there on staff for a couple of, two and a half years or so. And um, got married in 2000, 2002. So after you got married, then you, two of you together. Yes. You thought this thing through. So now what is... What is ultimately our calling? What is it that we feel like yeah, we're going to be doing? It's so along the mm-hmm. world on the line. You made that decision. I did. So there was a time when I felt, well, I was feeling a lot of things and thinking through and praying through a lot of things. But I knew that the organization that I was with, um, I had opportunities there to dive headlong into this world. And I could have seen myself, I could foresee a future where the next few decades was going to be serving with YWAM. But there were a couple of things. I, I kept coming back to the initial sense of calling and thinking about my home church and what it meant to be in a place for the long haul with, group, with a group of people, to see children being born and then watching them come to Christ and then marrying them off and then walking through all difficulties in life with them. I had what I, I still feel that I have. I had almost like a, a parish heart uh, and, I, and a desire to walk with people. And I loved the excitement of traveling all over the world and being with missionaries coming in and out. But there was something about that that I, I longed for. Second, uh, YWAM has a lot of strengths. I just said the things that they do, they accomplish things that I think are only accomplished by a certain kind of faith. And it's beautiful. I think God used it. But I also think at least in the, circum- the places that I was at, I encountered what I felt like was I had a growing hunger for theology. I wanted to know the the Bible. I wanted to ask all the questions behind it and teach it. And I, I just, I ran into a lot of people who honestly, at least at the place I was, just were not interested in it. They, they felt as though there was so much to do in the mission field that to study too deeply or to talk about it, you know, too much just wasn't their calling. And I felt a little out of place because I thought, why, why am I thinking about these uh-huh. things so deeply? So, but, but their, their experience is really about the initial contact of bringing somebody to Christ. Yes. And, and now I've had a little bit of, uh, rubbing shoulders with YWAM. Not much, not yeah. much. But through the Open Bible Organization, there were times when we would partner together to do things. And, and they would tell us, they said, we need you because we need your death. Whereas yes. we're, we're more, get them saved, and not really so much in the discipling aspect of it. And that's why they were looking to partner with I think that's Bible. a good way to. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah. And that's probably what I started to run into. I mean, I've, I'm a, a deeply curious study oriented i've just loved school my whole life and then and and i felt not only called to preach and evangelize which we did all over the world but i felt like to teach to instruct right right, right. so that really just uh it started to move me to the point where i made it made a con- uh, a conclusion i came to a conclusion that i wanted to serve in the ministry in a local church for the long haul if that's what god would allow me to do so that's when we went back and that, that was where we started the, the evening uh, talking about when i jumped back into school right and started serving at the church so when you went back to uh north dakota you were married by that time yes and so all these decisions that you were making involved with sarah so you decided to go to college yep was it secular college or bible college yeah it was no university of north dakota okay. i started looking into bible colleges yeah. uh, they're they were far from home and uh, frankly, they're expensive. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, so, did you become uh, employed uh, in regular secular work? Um, you know, at the time we were young and married, and so I had a I had a myriad of jobs. I was a college, I was a basketball coach. I was a math tutor. I was working at a local flour mill. You know, just trying to. <laughs> uh, we didn't need much. We had yeah. we were we were rich in love, so we didn't need too much. When we were going to school. It was uh, actually the, the closest thing I had to. To work was a few months after we got married. I took the job at the church, um, so I I pretty well jumped into church work as right, soon as I could, right. and uh, and it's been I've been serving the church in different roles, you know, since that point. Now, did Sarah take a secular job? She worked for the housing department at the University of North Dakota. She okay. uh, and then she was going to school as well. I mean, I so see. we were both okay. still 
still in school. So then here you are. Uh, you said you're pastor. Hey, I'm, I'm here to help. And uh, yeah, but like I say, see, he, he saw all this wealth of experience that you'd had. Sure, I mean, it, it two or three years, or maybe two and a half years. Mm-hmm. But you got a lot from what you already described to us. There was a lot of training involved in all that you were doing. Literally going all over the world, leading groups and stuff like this. A wealth of experience. Yeah, and uh, and and that's rare for somebody that age to have had that much experience. Uh, I mean, this is like a. A rapid course. <laughs> yeah. No, that's true. And that's the thing that gets produced. Yeah. Uh, they produce 20-year-olds that are pretty mature. Well, it would have to be mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do the things you do. I took a group of young people from uh, Orlando to Los Angeles. Hmm. I think I had maybe 10. Wow. <laughs> I'm telling you what, that was tough duty. Oh, it really, it really is. Kept trying to keep up with them in the airport and, and not lose any of them. And then, because I had them for the whole time we were out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so I, when you're describing all that you're doing, trip after trip after trip with young people who are, some of them never done this before, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, man, I mean, how many would you have on one trip? Uh, sometimes 30, 35. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and how many adults? I mean, well, wait a minute. I correct that. How many people your age, leaders? Yeah. Well, by the time that I was leading some of these trips at 19, I mean, we'd have probably out of a group of 30, 20 of them would be 18 years old. We had, there are numerous people on the trips that were, had come a little bit later to the training and they were older than me. Yeah. And, but I had to just step into it and try to lead the best I could. Yeah, well, I, and I had to back up there and, and because actually at 19 you were an adult. Sure. But when I think of an adult I think about somebody 30 years old who had some life experience leading such a group with such responsibility. Yeah. I mean you're see I went from uh, Orlando to Los Angeles I didn't have to go through any uh, customs or anything like that. That's an experience. It really and is. And to get all of these young people through this thing and uh, make sure there are no, no, no pickpockets. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's just so much responsibility. And like I said, I've had just a few, and you had a whole bunch. Like I say, that that in itself was a, a very fast, rapid <laughs> time of training and learning. And I mean, you probably made a few mistakes along the way. Oh, I sure did. Yeah. But you just learned to get to get through it. I mean, I had times, I was preaching on the street one time in, in Hong Kong, and uh some police officers came up and told us to shut it down and I was looking over the translator what to do and they just said just just keep preaching really? and so I'm I'm standing in the street we're getting shut down by the cops and I just kept on going until all the way till they unplugged my microphone from me wow. um well you just go for it you know what a great story to leave on <laughs> there you go <laughs> I can't believe our time is we've, we've had a good time here today thank you for being with us we always close the broadcast out with prayer Father God I thank you for Pastor Lance for Sarah, his wife, his children, the church, Father God, I pray your blessings upon them as they continue to labor and minister to you, Father God. We do pray for America. And Father, we pray for our churches and our pastors, Father God. Today as we go to our pulpits, Lord, let your anointing rest upon us. And Father, we pray for peace in the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Lance, thanks for coming. Amen. Thanks for having me. Spending some time with us. Uh, We'll find out if this was two or three, and then we may do a four. All right. That sounds good. (laughs) No, I I always enjoy spending time with you. Amen. Until next Sunday morning, may the Lord bless you.